A Gay and a Non-Gay is a podcast from James Barr and Dan Hudson. Two unlikely friends take on the world. How are you feeling after last week? I'm feeling pretty good. I've been chatting to some very clever people and I'm, I'm learning a lot. I feel like I'm starting to get it too, you know, like um, I'm understanding the biochemistries and I get the science now. Plus, if I'm honest, I've always wanted to get deep with some hard scientists. Great. <laughs> Great. <laughs> Welcome to a gay and a non-gay. Welcome to A Gay and a Non-Gay. It's May 2020 and this is part two in our series, The London Patient, A Cure for HIV. Did I do the question mark right? 10 out of 10. So I'm Dan and he's James. He's gay and I'm not. And this is the second of two episodes brought to you with thanks to funding from the British Podcast Awards Fund and the Wellcome Trust. The idea was to do a deep dive into where we're at with HIV and AIDS in 2020 to explore the devastating global impact of HIV and the groundbreaking advances in modern medicine providing light at the end of the tunnel for those living with the virus around the world. And to learn how close we are to finding a cure for HIV. Last time we chatted to Sir Nick Partridge from the Terence Higgins Trust and he told us what it was like back in the day when the HIV and AIDS epidemic first started. It was as though AIDS was your fault rather than the fault of a virus. Dan went to Oxford University to find out how HIV works. It hides in your cells and once it's inside the cell it kind of takes over and it buries itself into your DNA. And Dan, you also asked this. It's not just transmitted by, by sex, is it? I mean, I came back to what I learned at school, but you can pick it up from razors and... Or can you not? Is that, is that a myth? No, I mean, it's, this is sexually transmitted. Is that um, why you haven't shaved? Because you've got a beard. No, I, I haven't... your own razor. I haven't shaved. I don't really... I just don't really shave. Can't be bothered. I hate it. I just can't be bothered. I really uh, enjoyed the shade John Fraser threw at you about your beard. Is that why you haven't shaved? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we also learned about the London patient, who is the second person in the world to be considered cured of HIV but they were anonymous and it would have been completely unethical to go looking for them even if we knew where to start. But we did find them and that's because in March 2020 this happened. The London patient, the second person in the world to be cured of HIV, has today revealed their identity. Adam Castillejo says he aims to be an ambassador of hope. A medical milestone. Adam Castillejo is the second patient in the world who has Before revealing his identity to the New York Times on Monday, Castillejo was known simply as the London patient. The London patient revealed their identity. Coming up, our exclusive interview with Adam, the London patient. First, though, let's catch up with his doctor, Professor Ravi Gupta. Now, he's a professor of clinical science at the University of Cambridge and he's the lead author of the study into the treatment that the London patient received. Now that case report was published in Nature which is the world's leading multidisciplinary science journal and the findings were presented at the annual conference on retroviruses and opportunistic infections in Seattle in March last year. Nailed it. <laughs> Will you try saying it? Dr. Ravi must have felt like a rock star announcing this to the world. You know, like Lady Gaga or Britney Spears. Or or James Hetfield from Metallica or, you know, Bruce Springsteen or Corey Taylor from Slipknot. Yeah, cool. Here's Professor Ravi. 
the events sort of took off really, didn't they? And um, the response at the meeting at the conference was huge. I think it was just the fact that we'd been 10 years since the Berlin patient and we just needed it to raise spirits a bit. The London patient had been diagnosed with a type of blood cancer. And to treat this, he'd received a stem cell donation from an HIV negative donor who had this critical Delta 32 mutation which essentially locks HIV out of your immune system. So this not only cured his cancer, but also his HIV. It's incredible. Professor Ravi explained why this isn't a cure for everyone. This is not a cure for everyone because of the fact that you need to give quite dangerous drugs to people to eliminate their own bone marrow cells so that the new donor cells can come in. So that's not something you can do for people who are healthy because they could die. I mean, the mortality is 10 to 20%. It's a kind of last chance saloon type of treatment. That's right. I mean, I've had hundreds of emails since then saying that people will risk anything to to go through this and to be cured. Uh, It's very difficult to know what to do with them because you can give them the rational answer and they may know the rational answer, but they're still so desperate to be cured. I'm surprised to hear that because I felt as though with antivirals, it was actually now completely normal to, to live with HIV, like you can live a normal, healthy, long life. These messages I get are from marginalized people, often from Asian countries or African countries, where having HIV is very stigmatized socially and within families, and therefore they just want to get rid of the label. What do you think is next then in the fight against HIV? We've got to be realistic. The translating this cure into something for everybody is going to take you know, up to a decade to sort out. In the meantime, we've got these, we've got antiretrovirals and we're finding drugs that can be used, you know, that give you longer lasting protection. So you can do weekly or monthly dosing. So I think that the real need or the advances are going to be in antiretrovirals and moving away from pills every day to, you know, intermittent dosing. So a lot of the things that we're hearing now in 2020 are eerily similar to the AIDS crisis. You know, this idea that certain populations are expendable. Back then, it was your fault for being gay or it was your fault for being promiscuous. And now with coronavirus, we're told, you know, oh, it'll only affect old people or people with who are already ill. As a scientist, uh, where are you at with that? I've been drawing parallels since day one with HIV. You know, obviously the huge fear factor, the stigmatisation of people who, who had it. There are, of course, some parallels about disproportionate impact of, of this virus. But I think the key thing is to try and use what we learned in the HIV epidemic to prevent us making the same mistakes with this. The London patient's doctor, that was Professor Ravi Gupta. It's worth saying at this point that the best action is to get tested, to know our status, and if you are diagnosed with HIV, to get on one of the many very advanced drugs that allow you to live a close to normal life and prevent you from passing it on to others. Find out how to get a free HIV test in our episode notes next. We chat to the London patient, the second person in the world to be cured of HIV. The London Patient, a cure for HIV. James, how are you feeling about Pride not happening this year? Uh, It's the worst. It's what we do. We march. We love a march. And this year, we're not able to do that. Well, I'm sorry to hear that. (laughs) I have bought Rainbow Bunting, though, and I'm going to go all out for Pride Month because this year I feel as though we should celebrate our pride inside yes and our brand new pronoun t-shirt is the perfect way to do that it's customizable however you identify whether you identify as they them she her or he him your pronouns are highlighted on a list of everyone's so that we all feel safe visible and included yes head to gayandgay.shop to grab the new gay and a non-gay pronoun t-shirt 10 percent goes to mermaids go to gaynongay.shop 
Welcome back to A Gay and A Non-Gay. And now it's time to press play on our interview with Adam, the London patient. We live in pretty troubled times. And if I'm honest, I think this series and our interview with Adam has given me some hope on the power of humanity to overcome. We should mention that this might be quite a difficult listen for some, but we really hope you find it as inspiring as we do. And if you're moved by Adam's story and wish to donate some money, he's told us his preferred charities are Anthony Nolan, the Imperial Health Charity, Hospitality Action and the National AIDS Trust. So here it is. It's a gay and a non-gay with the second person in the world to be cured of HIV, Adam, the London patient. I guess I don't really know the whole story and I know it's probably <laughs> very triggering and quite long, but I wonder if you could take us back to the moment you were told you had HIV and how that felt at the time and, and what happened sort of going forwards from there. It was a very scary moment for me. I thought I was going to die. I, I felt my life will end. It was like a death sentence. I felt overwhelmed and I felt punish at some point. Why do you say the word punish? Because society made you feel that way. Society made you feel that you had done something wrong or it's a dirty disease. And I, I felt that. You feel that all the emotions going through your mind. And it was a death sentence for me at that time. You said death sentence. And I just wonder at that point when you were told or recently after, how long did you think you had? In the early notice, they would tell you you will live for at least 10 years healthy life and then maybe if wow. you're lucky 20 and um, that's a dead center they're telling you the timing um you know if you're lucky you live to 20 years that's a dead center for anyone i think we've been focusing a lot on what things were like in the, at the end of the 80s and early 90s rather than the noughties but to think that we've come as far as we have within less than 20 years now is amazing yeah. even through the noughties by the time the end of the decade the scene had changed to you can live a more healthy lifestyle and you can reach retirement age that was a very different scenario back in the early notice. So it was just kind of changing. And as you said, a lot of people don't talk about the notice. So you'd been living with HIV for 10 years and had dealt with that. And then in 2011, your doctor called you and told you you had cancer. What was your initial reaction to that diagnosis, I guess? I was going to die. Panic. Your heart sink and you feel, I'm going to die. That's your first reaction. And you feel oh, my life will end so you panic you really really scared i had to confront my mortality once again but this time around it felt with more compassion people were more kind um, people were you know we are in this together you know that it happened to any one of us it was kindness compassion support tender compared to the HIV. It was very different. Yeah, I mean, I get that totally. With HIV, there's this stigma that it's your fault if you get it, whereas cancer, it's kind of not your fault. I know, and that's, no, that's what you feel, and that's what the society made you feel. With this one, it was out of your hands. And this time around, I knew I could die very easily because uh, with cancer, it was possible to die. I have a reassuring doctor who say to me, you can get through this. We were hopeful in the beginning. I was very hopeful the cancer will eradicate in the first treatment. But uh, the, the first rhino chemotherapy regime uh, rounds, it didn't work. So we have to embark in the journey of 
many, many, many uh, years or grueling chemotherapy regime. So it was very intense for many years. Are you also a bit like, for fuck's sake, <laughs> again, <laughs> like another thing coming from me? Yeah, I, I, I felt like, wow, me, why me? I think a lot of people, when they're in my situation, we send the thing, why me? I training, I'm working hard, I eat well, and you know, I live a healthy life, why me? And then you realize cancer can happen to anyone. So I had to kind of accept that one. So in 2015, you've been living with lymphoma for four years. You get a phone call from your doctor saying that you've got a match for a bone marrow donation uh, with a German donor who carries this critical Delta 32 uh, mutation. H how was that conversation for you? When it was offered to me, I was being told the percentage for me to die, it was 80% possibility to die. Is 80%. Are you willing to go ahead? I say, yes. When I, I get a phone call to say, we found a match, I was very happy because that 20% or oh, oh, chances, I was clinging on that, or that 20%. Even if they give me 5%, I was still clinging on, on that percentage. So when I was given that, we can able to get the, the match, we find a match. And by the way, we think it's a possibility to cure UHIB. And that was wow for me. That was a wow moment. And that's when actually the London patient story began. Okay, sorry to be basic. They found a bone marrow donor for you, which would hopefully cure your cancer. But then they were like, oh, actually we can throw in, it's buy one, get one free. We can throw in an HIV cure as well. <laughs> I you mean- you put it away? Yeah, two, <laughs> yeah, get one, two, one. That's yeah. just, that's, <laughs> To go from a death, a second death sentence to, oh, actually, we can just get rid of them both. That's amazing. Oh, yeah. By 2015, I was told I was going to die in six months. And by the end of the year, I was told I was going to be cured of both. Wow. A very crazy year for me. When, when you get this phone call, mm -hmm. are, are you, on a scale of one to 10, are you thinking, oh, my God, this is going to happen? Or are you thinking, this is impossible, this is never going to work? Probably 11. <laughs> you know, I went on silent for a minute. I mean, it, it tried to sink in what you just telling me. It took a while to sink in. And then when the conversation finished, I look and I have a big smile and I say, wow. And then you're looking, I look at people and I thought, wow, that emotion or, or hope I was given, I can never describe, which is so powerful. And you won the lottery. And I was just smiling to myself. People maybe in the bus were looking, this crazy one is just smiling to himself and talking to himself. But I was just like, wow, the happy face, which I haven't had for so long, it came to me. I felt like I won the lottery. Much better than winning, winning the lottery, <laughs> by the sounds of it. <laughs> Did part of you opt for this um, treatment because you just thought, well, I've literally got nothing to lose? Well, you can say that. <laughs> <laughs> you can say that. I'm thinking, why not? Am I going to die in a hospital or I die fighting? I still have no idea how you can replace someone's stem cells. That, that's just... Oh, James, just give it, give it a rest. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, I can tell you in a simple way. They actually, just, they killed you softly. You almost die. And they're able to take all your immune system from your body, kill it, and then to replace it with a new one. That's what a transplant means. You actually, when, when the process of the transplant happens, that's so delicate you can die waiting for the hours before the transplant is actually happened. You can die that day because you're so weak. You can die in a minute. I, I understand it, Adam, even if, <laughs> even if James doesn't. Um, when did you realize that you were still alive? 
at what point did you did you wake up and, and realize that you were still here you're awake oh you're awake it's not under yes, anesthetic. you're awake so they take out your immune system <laughs> and put another one in whilst you're yeah. and you're conscious of it happening the whole time yeah oh my i my mind wow. is blown adam <laughs> why why would they do that why would they not put you under an anesthetic because they have to monitor your vitals signals and they need to understand you accepting the transplant i knew when my transplant was happening i knew was when he left germany i knew when he landed in Heathrow. i knew when he was carrying the ambulance he was arriving Ham hammersley hospital i knew when i was on the level so i knew they were telling me he left germany he's landed wow. in Heathrow. he's on the way from Heathrow. this is like the best uber eats delivery ever <laughs> yeah your delivery is coming <laughs> how does it feel if you remember when that new immune system is coming into your body. At that moment, when they are, they're telling you it's arriving to the building, it's downstairs, they're preparing it, it's coming up. You are very weak. You're very, very weak. You are very powerless. You are actually dying, basically. That's what you are. But this nurse gave you a, a card from Anthony Nolan Foundation. Right. And she said to you, Adam, here is your car. Your life starts today. Day zero or your new life. And I smiled to her and said, oh, say happy birthday. It's your new day today. And I said, I'm a baby again. So I have a big smile in my face. That means so much to me because I have that card saying, your life died today. So it's very powerful, that moment. They give you that and they say, we're going to go with a transplant now. Here we go. We have all the medicals around you. And people have transplant can only tell you it's a weird feeling because you feel something is not yours. It's very difficult to describe that, but you, you, you know, and I become very ill during. They said to me, accept it, Adam, please take it. Because I knew the chances of, of rejecting it, and I knew if I reject it, I will die. So it's your only chance is to accept it. And it's a very long period. You are in intensive care. You are aware of what's happening, but you know you can die at any moment. I think at that moment, was, I was hopeful and said, don't stop and never give up. I think that was one of my slogans I had at, at that time. Don't stop and never, and never give up. So you're the London patient. You're the second person to be cured of HIV. The first person is the Berlin patient. Are you guys mm -hmm. friends? Yeah, we are friends. I think uh, we are. We, he called me, welcome to the family, brother. It's like my big brother now. We talk regularly. The first time we actually talk, say, welcome to the family. I'm being so lonely in this for the last 12 years. So it's nice to have somebody who can talk to, relate to me. We talk regularly and we connect instantly because it's only him and I, nobody else. We care for each other now in, in a very brotherly way. Adam, what's your plan now? What do you want to do with this amazing story of yours? I want to be the voice of millions of souls who have died. I was hoping to find a cure and they're already gone. So I think for me, it's important to be a voice of hope to all these people who are not with us today. Is your inbox full of people reaching out to you? Every corner of the world, people asking me questions and I'm more than happy to answer in my Twitter account, in my Instagram. I try to help and I, it's very rewarding doing that because I think that's what I want to do and I feel that's important to do and, and I hope in the future I can I can write my autobiography and people can read what actually the whole story. So you're the London patient. You're obviously in London, as are James and myself. How, how are you finding this weird COVID life? Now with the coronavirus, I'm in the high risk category. I have my letter for my 12 week exhalation. So I need to uh, make sure I keep my 
safe because still even after all this time are still in high risk wow category. i mean that is so upsetting yeah um i just wonder when the last time you cried was which is a personal question but i'm interested i cry when i see documentaries about the pandemic i see people who have struggled that make me cry because i i feel the emotion i feel the hopelessness i feel sorrows and i feel how the families will feel and i i empathize it made me feel sad at the same time it made me feel uh, i've been the chosen one and i'm it cannot be in vain, this progress that we have made. I cannot just keep it secret. I, I want to talk to the families, all these people. Maybe a lot of them are gone, but a lot of families are still here. And I say to them, I'm here. It's a hope. And I want to be the voice of them because they want to be cured. All of them, like me, despite everything I went through, I always remember all the people who have died with HIV. That always in my heart. And I want to, I want to be their voice. We are going to get a cure for everyone. It's just so sad. It's so sad that so many people have lost their lives from this and that it's taking so long to get a cure for everyone. Um, And I think you're incredible by being that support network for people and that that ray of of hope. Um, It's amazing. With COVID-19, Uh, not being the same thing at all, but being a similar kind of moment for the world. I think your story is even more special because it shows you that there is hope. Do you have a message for people, well, for everyone, the world right now? Please don't give up hope. We are in this together and we have to work together as a community, help each other, support each other, call somebody and say, hi, how are you? Smile, be connected. We are in this together, we're together, we are in this together and we will get through. And we will get through um, in years to come thinking how amazing, how everyone get together and help each other. I think humankind, kindness is what will come from this pandemic. Please don't give up hope.